I would uh, hope that you wouldn't hear anything new, theologically speaking, in this sermon today, because this is a sermon of pure good news, and uh, we have promises that God gives us here in Isaiah 43, and I think from time to time it's good for us to remember and to meditate upon uh, what He has told us He will do and who He is for us. So with that in mind, we'll take a look at uh, the first seven verses of Isaiah 43. I will uh, read these words for us. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Well, I know we have some children and young people here today, and I'm going to speak to them in the first paragraph or so. You know, as you get into the higher grades of school, and especially as you go off to college uh, or some other kind of learning, you'll continue to hear uh, the well-worn theory, and, and remember, it's a theory of evolution made popular by Charles Darwin. You know, to hear him tell it, we've evolved, all of us, from some other common ancestor. We are not created as an independent species. And that not just some things, but most all things happen somewhat randomly. Well, Scripture begs to differ with that theory, and so do I, since that's what Scripture teaches you know, in Genesis 1, we read that God created man in his own image, male and female. He created them. He made us a standalone species, different from all the rest of the creation because we're created in his image. And he has this kind of design and plan. For us, think about David's words in Psalm 139. David has this to say, speaking to God You formed my inward parts, you knitted me together 
In my mother's womb I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. What a marvelous description of God's creation of life, like all of these babies we've recently seen born into the life of this congregation and those we've yet to meet. And you know, there are plenty of scientists out there, Christian and non-Christian, who have looked at the evidence and they come to the same conclusion as that taught in Scripture, that there's an intelligent design in and all throughout creation. I mean, just think about this solar system to which we belong. A lot of things have to be exactly in place for this planet Earth to be able to sustain human life like it does. And yet it's the right distance from the sun and a lot of other things taking place all at the same time so that you and I have an environment in which we can thrive. Now I don't have the intellectual horsepower uh, to talk about this from a truly informed position because I haven't studied it deeply. But I do have common sense. And you know, I think most of you have common sense. A person with common sense can easily see the difference between deliberate design on the one hand and random results on the other. Just think about going out west. If you've ever been to some place like Grand Teton National Park, you can see those mountains rising up. And you think you're about, you know, us Easterners, about 20 miles away, but you're really 80 miles away. And when you get close, you can tell they have had some random results. There's been some uh, erosion and that sort of thing from ice and snow and rain and wind all through hundreds and thousands of years. But contrast the Tetons with uh, Mount Rushmore for example. Now, are you really going to stand at the base of Mount Rushmore and say to the stranger beside of you, you know, it's amazing the way the wind and the rain and thousands of years of erosion have produced such detailed likenesses of four of our former presidents. That would be ridiculous. That'd be about as ridiculous as assuming that placing a bunch of metal parts and four tires and some glass and a little bit of red paint and some carpet and and put all that in a room together and over time it's going to produce a Ferrari. It just doesn't work that way. This beautiful world which we see all around us and these bright-eyed little babies we've been baptizing this year obviously have intelligent design behind them. And the point is that this is the same all-powerful and all-knowing and creatively designing God that fashioned each of us here in this room today and fashioned those of us who are watching by the internet. Look at verse 1 of our text. Thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel. 
Those verbs created and formed in the Hebrew are words normally reserved for statements about the creation of the world. But here in Isaiah 43, God is using them through the prophet Isaiah to talk about His own people. This means that those whom He has called have a unique place in the divine order of things. If you're a child of God today, the same is true for you. And we can see that there are all sorts of special ways in which we are in relationship to God all through His Word. I mean, think about uh, Ephesians 1, where Paul tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. So Isaiah tells us that God made us, and then Paul comes along in Ephesians 1 and tells us that God has blessed us by choosing us. You see, the good news just keeps stacking up, and it doesn't stop. It doesn't end because God through Isaiah in our text goes on to say, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You see, we've been redeemed, given a name, and given the comforting and saving presence of this one who is our Savior. Now let's just think about this congregation as a whole. All of the families of this congregation. We have all sorts of different ages among us. And all sorts of different stages in life that we face. There's always something different happening. Sometimes it's an exciting difference. And sometimes it's a scary kind of thing that's happening. Like a preschooler going to big school. That's a scary thing, not only for the child, but for the mama and the daddy. Or an elementary child starting middle school. There's high school or, or college or making the move to the working world. I still remember how nervous I was when I showed up for my first real job. There's giving birth to babies. That's a nervous thing for the mamas and the daddies and their mamas and daddies. Or the time when we become empty nesters. Yay! There's that time when we downsize or retire or move from our home to a retirement home like some of our folks have done just in the past few weeks. All of that and more comes with change and maybe at times, uh, uh, some fear or trepidation along the way. But look at what God says in our text to His people. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. In our vernacular, God is saying, in our vernacular, God is saying, when you go through a scary time, I'm going to be right there with you. Because, you know, that was a scary thing for a desert dweller to do. To cross over a river. I mean think about it. They didn't belong to the Y. They didn't do water aerobics. 
they would hardly ever see a body of water. They didn't know how to swim. It was a scary thing. And then he talks about having to go through fire and how they'll not be burned. Think of Daniel here and his being thrown into the fiery furnace. And as John Calvin said so well, he said, you know, God could have saved Daniel from the fire, but he saved Daniel in the fire. This is what Isaiah is talking about for the people of God. We have to go through hard times. We may have to go through all sorts of challenges, suffering, maybe even persecution. But God is with us. Let's go back and think a moment about the end of verse 1. I've called you by name. You are mine. Now in a patriarchal society, who gives the child the name? The father does. And we know the people in ancient times in the Bible that we read about were in a patriarchal society. We can see that. An example in Genesis 21 where we read, Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son. And Abraham called the name of his son Isaac. We can see it in Jesus' day and time uh, with John the Baptist's parents, you know, Zechariah and Elizabeth. You know, Zechariah was made dumb where he couldn't speak all the time that his wife was pregnant with John the Baptist. And then when, it, when he was born, it came time to name him. The people assumed that he would be named after his father, Zechariah. And Elizabeth spoke up and said, no, his name will be John. And what do the people do? They look to the father. Zechariah, is that right? And he took a writing pad of some sort and told them yes. And that's when he received his voice back. This is what the Father does. God is your Father. You belong to Him. He has given you a name. Chosen. He loves you even more than your earthly fathers. He provides for you. He hopes the best for you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. You are His, which means you're part of His family with all of the rights and privileges of children, including a wonderful inheritance that Peter tells us is undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. He is with you as a father is for his children. You know, Jesus promised the same thing to his followers. He said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the close of the age, like father, like son. God is talking about his presence with his people. Jesus comes along and says the same exact thing. And he gives his presence through the gift of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, Jesus says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. You ever notice that word, another? Who's the first helper? Jesus. Jesus is our advocate, our mediator, our savior. 
And he's going to give another helper, another one to come alongside of us. To be with you forever, he said. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Then in verse 3, we see another comforting way in which we're in relationship with God. For I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. We see here this picture of a covenant-making and and covenant-keeping God. And that's wonderful in and of itself. But notice what God is really saying. He's saying the creator of the universe condescends to give himself to his people as their personal possession precisely because he loves them. Because they are precious to him. And this is our good news as well. Because Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that Jesus lowered himself. He condescended to us and took on the form of flesh and became obedient unto death. And notice in verse 3 how God talks about nations that he will give as a ransom. What Isaiah is communicating is that God is declaring that he's willing to pay any price to ransom his chosen people. And he proves that by the good news of the gospel. And that he was willing to send his only begotten son to give him to this world to die on the cross for your sins and for mine. In fact, this passage at the beginning of Isaiah 43 is quite a change from what has gone before it. In chapter 42, for example, we see God using words like deaf and and blind to describe His people Israel. He says this is a people that's been robbed and plundered. They're all of them trapped in holes and hidden In prisons, they have become a prey with none to rescue. And of course, Israel is a prey with none to rescue because of their unfaithfulness to God. Because of their sin, because of their selfishness, because of their disobedience, because of their constant complaining, because of their... Lack of trust in who God was. So what does God decide to do? We see his answer in our text. He offers grace. Pure, undeserved grace and love. I will redeem you. I will save you. I will be with you. You are mine. I am the Lord your God. We always need to remember that one of the fundamental principles of the kingdom of God is that His grace precedes everything else. I think you'll see that in Scripture over and over again. We see it in Isaiah 43 right here in this text. You may remember from Genesis 3 that this truth 
is what Satan called into question, or at least part of what he called into question, in the Garden of Eden. He suggested that God does nothing for free to Adam and Eve. I mean, really, when we think about it. As one commentator put it, if he tells his children not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's not because he freely cares for them. This is Satan talking. But because he's trying to protect himself. Now, we know that sounds ridiculous because we know who God is. And we know that he loves us with an everlasting love and how he's proven that in the gift of Jesus Christ. And yet that's the lie that Satan convinced Adam and Eve to believe. That God was trying to protect himself instead of care and love his creation well. If you want another Old Testament example of how grace precedes everything, think about the book of Exodus where we can see the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt and how that takes place before the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. In other words, redemption comes before obedience. They were delivered from bondage by grace alone. Then and only then came the call for obedience. If you want a New Testament example, think about how uh, Jesus said to Peter on one occasion, you know, Satan wanted you to sift you like wheat. But that's not going to going to happen and he said you're going to mess up I'm paraphrasing here you're going to mess up Peter but you'll come back and do great things for the kingdom Jesus given grace even when he knows what Peter's going to do and how he's going to deny him Well, the same is true for you and me. Grace precedes everything when it comes to your heart and to mine. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 5, 8. God shows His love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, God did everything necessary to deliver us from the consequences of our sin before there was any indication we might follow him. If there was ever a rebuttal of Satan's slander in Genesis 3, surely Romans 5, 8 is it. So, as we've already mentioned, we're always headed towards some other chapter in our lives. Some of them are exciting some of them are downright scary. But what does God expect of us in all of those occasions and more? What is our purpose? Why are we here? We can see what God expects right here in verse 7. And I know you're good Presbyterians and you already know the answer, but I'm going to read it for you anyhow. Everyone who is called by my name whom I created for my what? Glory. That's what he says right there in verse 7. 
whom I created for my glory. You and I, we are created for God's glory. This church and all of its ministries exist for God's glory ultimately. The church throughout the world exists to glorify God. You know, as we enter each stage of life, we learn new things. These young new parents are learning that sleep isn't as important as they thought it was. They still desire it, but they can live without it. I know one little two-year-old who wakes up at 5 o'clock every morning in this church. Our high schoolers are learning that they can survive even things like advanced chemistry and physics. Those with recent losses are finding out that God really does mean it. When he says, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Yes, we continue to learn all throughout life, but hopefully we already know what's most important. What our chief end is all about. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And may He bless us to that end. Amen. Amen.